that consistency. Like it's really throwing okay. me. Sorry, lot to delete here. One, two, three, snap. Welcome to Attached, season three. Whoa! <laughs> A podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa. And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center. In this episode, Jacob will bring us something fantastic in our pop and culture section. Then I don't know how you do this every time, Patricia, but like it is going to be fantastic. That's the exact word I would use for it. So, um, and you will see we why. Just, yeah, I feel like we could just map that onto any of your pop, pop and culture. So that was like a, that was a freebie for us here, Jacob. But I, I, I agree. Uh, we are definitely uh, simpatico in terms of adjective usage. Um, then in our academic deep dive segment, we're going to discuss the academic article, occupational characteristics and parents' child care time. And then in good or bad advice, we are going to discuss an article from the website, what to expect. If you have any advice that you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. You can email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us, all at attachedpodcast, or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message there. Also, we're on YouTube, so please smash that YouTube subscribe button and follow us there for a video version of each of our podcast episodes. But before we get to all that... How are you guys doing? Long time no talk in the podcast space. What's going on? I, I feel like I'm in a weird space right now. Summer has been great. Like, like yeah. you know, I had my hot vac summer. It was, uh, so happy you know, for like you. seeing friends, being able to go out to, you know, restaurants again because we're both vaccinated and cases were really low for a time period and it was a wonderful and the weather's been relatively great for Iowa. And now we have a mandate that schools cannot wear masks. And so <laughs> I kind of have this trepidation that we're all going to be back in our homes uh, in a couple of weeks because of that. So like, mm. you know, when we ended this podcast, I was like so excited. I was like, I'm vaccinated. It's going to be great. We're turning the corner. And now it's just like, oh, oh, I know. I don't do this anymore. Sorry. That's like really a downer to start a podcast. Welcome to season three. Um, season three is just a continuation uh, of season two. Oh God. Oh God. But I'm so glad you had your hot back summer. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like only thing keeping you going. <laughs> it was, it was, it was good. Like, and now I'm just like, oh no, oh I no, know. oh, oh no. no, oh no, 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 no. Wow, both at the same time. I'm not even sure what song that was supposed to be. Honestly, that's TikTok. Uh, you maybe? need to. You need. Yeah. Do you not like? I mean, I'm not on TikTok, but I have discovered Instagram Reels, and it's dead. It's dangerous. Don't. Sure. Don't start, Sarah, if you haven't started. Just go straight to the source. Just go straight to the source. Go to TikTok. Go straight to the source. Amazing. Hopefully uh, the tides will turn back so you can have a hot vax fall. Uh, you know, as the kids say, uh, vaxed, waxed, and ready to relax is what I've heard. Um, Ooh, I like that. Good. <laughs> I'm so glad. It always kind of creeps me out a little bit. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad there's an audience. For all those for new it. subscribers, for all those new subscribers, it only goes up. It only goes up from here. So stick with us. <laughs> what's uh, what's up with you? Well, I mean, I'm not sure I can follow that. Like odd, odd mix of <laughs> excitement and thrill and depression. <laughs> um, yikes! I spent uh, my summer probably doing a lot of the usual things. Um, work you know work doesn't stop in the summer for me so I did that that's fun and um, I murdered all the plants I I planted in spring 
they're all dead and gone. I did go on a vacation uh, last month, which was exciting. Um, during that time, one of the plants decided, oh, we're going to come to life and just uh, just rained 40 tomatillos all over my patio. <laughs> While you were away. While I was away. Plants now dead. <laughs> home with yellow leaves it's and almost like it was like she's gone now you guys it's our time to thrive she's gonna stop overwatering us uh, so so yeah it's been um uh probably not too dissimilar from from jacob only i would just describe it very differently so thanks for checking in <laughs> well um this summer for all of our wonderful podcast listeners, I decided to have one of those hot, amazing pandemic babies. So <laughs> since I've been away, I've become a mother for the third time. Just adding a, another little wee person to uh, He's the so family. Perfect. He's, He's so perfect. super adorable. Um, doing all the giggling and rolling over stuff. I love it. Love it. Love it. Um, so I have not. I wouldn't classify it as a hot vac summer um, because we did stay indoors quite a, quite a bit with the, with the new one, but it was a nice summer. It was uh, low key. It was good. And just catching up on sleep at, at this juncture. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. Um, important goal. Yeah. Important goal. And currently, unless you're on uh, YouTube, I'm drinking some nice iced coffee. Can you hear it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. So fancy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, iced coffee is my life. Um, and it's been, it's been good. It's been fun. A little tiring, but such is life. First up, poppin' culture. We learn about relationships from our friends and family, of course, but a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. For this first segment, we like to take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships. We teased that this was going to be a fantastic one. Jacob, what you got for us? This summer, in addition to being a hot vac summer, was a summer full of quality trashy television. You had Love Island, UK and USA. You had Katie Thurston's season of the bachelorette bachelor in paradise is starting oh but, but, so but, exciting <laughs> but i want to introduce you to a new level of trashy reality television. oh my gosh there's another level we're leveling oh, up that's may awesome. i present to you ladies and gentlemen f boy island <laughs> no that's not a show <laughs> No, F Boy Island is a reality television dating show Googling. on HBO Max. So there's like some, uh, there's some uh, boobs and there's no, some no, 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 there's no, there's, there's none of that. This is not a I mean, it's HBO. <laughs> Sorry. That's exactly where my mind went. I'm like, oh my God, they show a penis. There's a no, bunch okay. of murder. There's like a bunch of death. What kind of island is it? So this, do y'all, you, are y'all familiar with Nikki Glazer? Yes, I like her a lot. Yeah, so she's the host. And what I love about F-Boy Island is it knows it's trashy. And Nikki Glaser, who's also a producer of the show, just makes fun of everything about it. So it's really funny as well. It's like self-aware. There is three single women who come to this island and they introduce them to 24 men. 12 of those men are self-described nice guys. They're looking for a relationship. They want to settle down. They want to be able to make and create something meaningful. Okay, sure. The other so they go on a reality show. This makes sense. Go on. <laughs> go on. Go on. The other 12 men are self-described F-boys. So are we all familiar with the term F-boy? I mean, I am, but our audience might not be. So please. All right. So yes, F boy, for our audience. For our audience. <laughs> Could you please describe? <laughs> so F boy, which is short for fuck boy, is sorry language there. Um, is really this idea of dudes who tell women whatever they want to hear to try to hook up with them, and then they might ghost them, or they are not really looking for something serious, and they just want to kind of. I think it's the no. modern day term for like player, right? Yeah. Like I think the Gen Z has co-opted what we what we 
elder millennials would call a player and or playa <laughs> or playa the whole thing this whole thing is i'm the level of cringe i'm experiencing is like so high go on go on so at the beginning of the show at the beginning of the show uh the status of each of the men is unknown Right. And so as men get eliminated, they re reveal whether they were an F boy or a nice guy. But about it's a half and half, right? Yeah, it's half and half. So about what? Six, seven episodes in, they have the remaining dudes that are there reveal their status to these women. Right. Oh. If they're going to say, hey, are you an F boy or are you a nice guy? So. The reason I bring this up is because half of the dudes that were left were F-boys and half of the dudes that were there were nice guys. Okay. And at the end, what percentage, like, because they choose one person at the end, how many of the women do you think chose nice guys? How many chose F-boys? Uh, everybody chose a nice guy? Nope, that's that's Wood or PR's guess. Woods, what's your guess? One chose a nice guy. That's correct. There's this thing in there that these women are saying, oh, I don't, you know, I really want a nice guy. I really want to settle down. But they're also at the same time believing they have a strong enough connection. They're going to be able to change the behavior of the F boy. And I think this is a really important thing for us to learn in relationships. If somebody is telling you that they are changing for you because your connection is so strong, they're going to be the same person that they were before, right? Change doesn't just happen because like, oh, I connected with you. So now I want to be different, right? right? Change is going to take some time. It's going to take building trust. It's going to take... Um, introspection it's going to say like why was i doing this before and why am i different now and should i really be doing this in the context of the relationship because what happens so the two women that choose the f uh the f boy one of them actually opts out for the hundred thousand dollar prize says oh yeah i've just been playing you this whole time and i was really here i told you i was an f boy and i'm still an f boy and I came here for the money, and that's what I'm taking. The gentleman gets the prize? So. If he opts out, I think, is the. Well, so if the women choose an F boy, then the power goes to the gentleman to decide whether they want to stay in the relationship or take $100,000. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, it makes no sense, but it makes a lot of drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good for television. So what I what I just want to get across is this idea that when somebody shows you who they are and explicitly them. tells you, yeah, who like they are. literally explicitly tells you, we you need to believe them. And if then a day later they've said I've changed, I think mm. you need to be skeptical of that. Yeah, right. Because often the idea of being an f boy is about using words to get what you want, even if those words aren't true. And I think sometimes people, when they form relationships, romantic relationships especially, and somebody says, I've changed, we want to believe them because we might be attracted to them. They're like, oh, well, I'll be different for you, even though in the past I was like this. And people can and do change. But I think until the person shows you something different at an important juncture, there's an importance of setting a boundary that allows that time to occur so they can actually really show you that they have changed, right? Just saying you've changed doesn't mean you've changed. Right. And I think this is really important to understand kind of where this narrative comes from in our culture and our society or, or a portion of it, at least. Uh, particularly for women, this is a message that if you are good enough about being a romantic partner, if you are, uh, uh, can form a connection, you can change a man to be better. And this comes from a lot of fundamentalist type religions that the woman is in charge of um, purity, in, in charge of values in the family. And if they are good enough at being that in the family, then the 
man will be good. The man won't stray. The man won't, um, you know, give in to these kind of baser instincts that, you know, they think men are. The woman is, is, is the holder of uh, purity and value. So those kind of underlying ripples of messages that we get are pervasive throughout our culture and they affect how we approach relationships as well. Like, like this, that if I am good enough as a, a woman at being a partner, I can change this man. And this is obviously heteronormative relationships. Yeah. Um, so it's per- pervasive in, in our culture. And you can see it even coming out in reality shows, this um, opinion about ro- gender roles in relationships. And it sets us up for yeah. failure. Yeah, I agree, right? That's the concept of benevolent sexism. This idea that oh, you put this woman on a pedestal, but you also give her all of this responsibility, responsibility for something else that she actually has no control over. And then when she's unable to control that, which she doesn't have control over, it's then her fault because she failed as a woman. Exactly. Getting into relationships and also in within a, a relationship as well. Yeah. Fascinating. Now we're going to move to our academic deep dive segment and talk about a new paper titled Occupational Characteristics and Parents' Child Care Time, written by Dr. Jennifer Hook at USC, Dr. Leah Rupiner at University of Melbourne, and Dr. Lynn Casper, also at USC recently published in the Journal of Marriage and Family. The study's author points out two important ways in which employed work can impact our families' lives. First, parents spending time at work, their work schedule, and how many hours they're on the job affects how much time they can spend with their family. Second, the competing roles of full-time work and full-time parenting can cause a lot of stress for parents, especially moms. Also, the stress that employed parents feel can be decreased when workplaces have more resources, when they give parents more autonomy, flexible work schedules, control over how, they're or how they organize their work, etc. But working parents' stress is worse when jobs have more demands. Aside from just the number of hours we spend at work, jobs can add to our stress and exhaustion when the amount of work we're asked to do is too high or supervisors are critical or our skills are underutilized. I am uh, definitely uh, feeling all of this right now. (laughs) So the unique characteristics of where you work matter for how stressed you will feel balancing work and family. But the authors point out that we don't really know how these two areas intersect. In other words, research has really explored how specific characteristics of individual workplaces may be tied to how much time parents can spend with their kids. So, Sarah, these researchers test whether parents who work in more demanding and poorly resourced jobs spend less time with their kids. How exactly did they do that? Yeah, so it's it, they have a lot of different ways that they define these demands, which we're going to talk about because I do think it's really interesting and people, I think, will identify with these different uh, variables, workplace characteristics for different reasons, including sort of what their own workplace looks like. Um, but they did this in a really interesting way. So they did look at um, job characteristics, workplace characteristics, and time spent with kids and what that time uh, looked like. But they also looked at gender, too. They did talk about how we could sort of expect this to go in a few different ways, that dads on average spend more hours at work per day, per week, per month, um, and so may have more time demands that limits their ability to spend time with kids, whereas women tend to be more responsible for family life uh, and so might feel more of that pressure, that role overload, the strain and conflict between I'm, I have all this paid employment and I have all this childcare that needs to be done, done at home. So what they did was they took data from the American Time Use Survey from 2011-2019. Every year there was different data. They pooled all of that. Oh, wow. Together. 
Um, it's a really large nationally representative survey sponsored by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So it's a huge data set. Um, and participants in this uh, survey are interviewed by phone about their time use in the 24 hours prior to that uh, phone mm, interview. Fascinating. Um, yeah, really interesting. So they, of this huge amount of data, they selected out employed parents, not self-employed, like outside employment, um, 25 to 64 with at least one child at home that's under the age of 13. However, this data set does not include detailed job characteristics. So they linked the participants to data in the Occupational Information Network database, which includes data on hundreds of types of occupations. And those occupations are rated by occupational experts and like other kinds of people whose job it is to describe jobs. Okay. <laughs> Such an interesting um, data set to read about. So they rate these different occupations on specific skills you might need to do them, abilities needed to do the job, what the work conditions might look like. And they got occupational data for almost all of their original participants, 98.5%. Uh, their final sample was uh, over 17,000 parents in over 460 occupations, and then they split the sample. So those who are interviewed on work days, because they're looking at how the experience of being in a workplace in a workday impacts your, your time spent with kids, and those who are interviewed on non-work days. So the workday sample was 10,274 parents, about 52% were dads. So it's a huge, huge Sample. Yeah, that's amazing. So during that phone interview, parents talked about how they spent their time, right? And they categorized the time as time spent with children, which is just sort of like my kids in the room and the space I'm available to them versus childcare, which is actively like caring for helping kids that included physical care. So that feeding, bathing, dressing, just reading these, these descriptions also exhausted me. And I was like, what does that say about how available I am to my kid? Uh, and interactive care, which is like talking, reading, playing, like being there, um, engaging with kids in a way. Yeah. like really important for the development, right? That interactive care piece. Um, and then the occupational variables, they looked at resources and demands, which is what you talked about earlier, Patricia. Um, so autonomy is considered a really important resource. So how much decision-making freedom would somebody in that occupation have? Um, is their job, what they do for their job and how they set goals? Is that already predetermined or they have mm. the ability to do that themselves? Authority is considered a resource. So job status, making decisions that affect other people, how often you make decisions that impact the organization. Although they did present some prior work that says authority can also put a lot of pressure, especially on moms, uh, because that's it's a lot more responsibility. Um, demands is the opposite. So this is related to strain. This is not time. This is stress. So aggression mm. and conflict is one area. So how often do you deal with violent individuals, unpleasant oh. people? Do you handle complaints and grievances? Yes. Well, if you could, right, if you work in, say, like a prison system. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you are like a a security guard at a hospital or a police officer, right? Right. Or Um, or these days on an airplane. Sure. If you're a flight attendant. attendant. Yeah. Yep. That's a very good example, Jacob. Um, Hot back summer got really out of out of check, just they just it was an insane last few months. And how often they need to keep their emotions in check? Do they need to sort of hide their own emotional experience? And uh, mm. do they have do they have really hypercritical bosses? Um, job pressure was another one. They looked at competition and also deadlines. Um, repetitive monotony was like this repeat. Do you have to repeat oh. the same physical mental activities over and over without stopping? Like checking a ledger over and over and over and over. Um, and then physicality hazards. So how much like ex- sort of exercise, exertion, running, bending, hazardous equipment, pollutants, how cold it is. Do you climb ladders and stuff? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Are you dancing or climbing a ladder? For those of you, for those of you not watching YouTube, you're dancing. Is that a, is that a physical hazard of your workplace? You just teach a lot through dance? Maybe. Yes. Maybe. Whatever. No, it's not a physical hazard. That is an incentive. That's like how she gets people to like come join a part of her research lab. She's like, do you see what I can do? Yeah. She uses her authority to force dance parties on her undergrads. (laughs) Yeah. All my, all my, uh, all the people in my research lab, I feel real credit criticized all the time because I force them to dance. And then I talk about their dance moves. It's like, (laughs) 
That was probably not captured in the status set, but really important for maybe us to talk about at a different time. Offline. Offline. Some examples of what they looked at when they looked at these job categories, right? So they find that people who are are in like management, business, financial positions um, are the highest in authority and autonomy and competition, whereas people who do like sales or office work are highest in monotonous work. Uh, But there was a lot of variability within these occupations, especially between moms and dads. Um, they control for a bucket of stuff, anything that could um, try that could interfere with their ability to sort of tease out how these things might be related. So they control for how many hours you spend at work, the shift of the work you do, your education level, your income, how many kids you have, age, race, ethnicity. There, there's more that I'm not listing. Um, and what they found, just sort of on average, you'll sort of describe on average what their sample yeah. looked like. Mom's jobs rated higher on aggression, conflict. Mm and monotony. I know. Well, they're probably wow. handling more grievances and complaints and uh, yeah. thinking about the care work that sometimes happens in the workplace that we talk yeah. about in other research, right? Um, dad's jobs rated higher in competition, which is an aspect of job pressure and time pressure um, and physical hazards. And Ooh. dad's on average worked more hours per week. And mm. uh, moms spent more time with kids on work days and on total child care and physical care. For example, uh, physical care was like an average of 59 minutes a day. Very specific. Not an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 59 <laughs> minutes. Like the last minute. Give me all your uh, similar time between moms and dads on the interactive care, play time, reading, et cetera. Oh. Um, so what they found was that moms in occupations where there's more competition, more mm-hmm. that aggression conflict stuff, more monotony and more physical safety risks spend less time with their kids and less time on childcare. So what this looked like, for example, is for one standard deviation increase in how hazardous the job was physically, like that um, exercise pollutants sort of yeah. uh, category, was a decline in 15% of physical care that they provide for their kids, which is like eight and a half minutes. Um, and it was especially true of those physical child care activities, uh, meaning that's especially where they saw the effect for moms who are in these really sort of high demand workplaces, um, they spent less time in that physical childcare, which the author suggests um, might be driven by how exhausted. They're just fatigued from this daily work experience. It's exhausting. And so that's where they're going to cut the time that they spend with their kids. Um, They also found that the more autonomy that moms had, it was associated with more interactive care time that they could spend with their kids. It It was sort of a weak association, but um, there was, there was not very much tying occupational group, like the type of job moms had and mom's time use. So this, this is, um, more about the characteristics of the workplace than the type of job that right. a person has on average. Um, and these associations were mostly evident on work days. So you remember earlier I said they split the sample, right? They yeah. really did the same analysis with the moms who were interviewed on non-work days. And they found that these, this, um, these same associations didn't hold, meaning on non-work days, moms didn't lose that childcare time. And the only place, the only association they found is that workplace conflict was associated less time with kids on on essentially what we might call a weekend day, right? On a day that I'm not working. So that is a really intense characteristic of workplace that spills over into days where I'm not even on work at work. Wow. Um, whereas moms in physically hazardous jobs appear to maybe make up some of that childcare time on non-work days. They do more of that, which is sort of a cool idea. Yeah. Um, so all of this- these, So it's these, almost like the difference between being mentally fatigued and physically fatigued. Yeah. Mentally fatigue kind of spills over and the physical fatigue you can make up because you sleep really well. Yeah. 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 Or hopefully you sleep well. Right. It's uh, the pollutants don't find you at home, which is good. (laughs) Um, So those those strain based demands, this again, this isn't about time because they controlled for time did impact mom's child care time. They they controlled for occupational group, education, income. I mean, all, all of those control variables, and this was still true. For dads, the associations were far weaker. Um, so for them, autonomy, having more of a say about how they do their work was associated with more time spent with kids at home. Um, more monotony at work was associated with less time spent with kids. But there was no associations with child care. Um, so the... Um, the characteristics of the workplace for dads was not associated in how much time they spent in those childcare activities, uh, which is really interesting. 
Um, and then on those non-work days, dads in higher status jobs with more of that authority spent more time in interactive care. So maybe they could sort of shut that off when they were at work mm. a little bit more um, or made, made up some of that time intentionally. Um, so I do think, I mean, that this is cross-sectional, right? They pooled this data across years, but it was only sort of one time point. So we don't know that it's causal. The authors suggest that, right, you could maybe be choosing a job based on how we want to parent. Yeah. But comparing the workday with the non-workdays and using all these different control variables, it's probably not likely that that's what people are doing. It's probably... Um, it probably is starting to suggest that the quality of our workplace right. is impacting our family life in really important ways. It's not just about the number of hours we spend at work. It is really about how toxic are they? And if I understand correctly, this data is not dyadic. So this is not That's both correct. partners. So we don't That's know correct. if the reduction in mom's, you know, physical, um, you know, care, care, is, made yeah, care right? is made yeah. up with the father's. Yeah. Uh, increase in care right. or if yeah. like together the dyad you know even evens out there's no change it's yeah. just like taking roles on at different time yeah time yes. points it does it my house <laughs> yeah I mean mine too, oh. mine too. <laughs> years ago I learned I just could not do like I couldn't do tubby time it was that end of the day time where I was like the most physically exhausted and I and finally just had to say I just need you like I felt like I couldn't even sort of stand to like help I was just like at this 20 minute juncture. I need to sit. I need, or do something else like folding clothes, something that wasn't like oh, so intense. Um, so, I mean, I think there's some really important takeaways. The daily experience of our workplace matters for how we yep. connect with our families. That's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. Everybody in paid employment, this is important for, right? Um, even people without paid employment, because if you're a partner to somebody who's paid in paid employment, that impacts yeah. how they come home and show up for your family. Uh, moms, oh yeah. And I think particularly for, you know, us as individuals on all of our listeners as individuals, but I think this is like, goes above that. It's like oh, a yeah, policy sure. level thing. Oh, like sure. Knowing that yeah. workplace environments are so impactful for how we yes. care for our children yes. is critical. We need to yes. pay attention to that. And this doesn't track like long-term outcomes for kids. You don't know what this looks like, but these parents, especially these moms are so stressed at work that it impacts the amount of time that they spend with their kids, it's also potentially impacting the quality of that time. I mean, that would be a really interesting sort of uh, additional kind of research, right? And then sort of tracking how that then impacts their kids. We know there's very robust outcomes that ties mom's mental health to kids' development, right? Yep. That's really important. Um, and mom's family life is significantly more impacted by the demands of the workplace, these strain demands, these stressors than dads. But they, what we see is that they might be too tired to do that physical care, but it looks like they're still prioritizing and preserving that interactive care, which um, uh, is fantastic because it's so important for kids' development to be reading with them, teaching them, right, getting on their level, playing with them. But um, it also made me feel tired <laughs> Uh, so I think talking about that policy, that policy piece, um, workplace is prioritizing giving employees autonomy as much as possible is important for moms and dads, giving people the ability to make decisions about what what they prioritize, what goals they set for themselves, how they make decisions about how they spend their day is it could be really important and have a trickle down effect into literally their home life. Yeah. But also looking at things like competition pressure, aggression in the workplace, monotony, like changing up some of those variables so that that moms in those jobs um, not only can prioritize families maybe the way they want to, they're, they're spent time with their kids, but also we're seeing mass exit from the workforce of parents, right now, but especially yeah. moms because of COVID. When you think about like what, if I can hardly do this anyways in a regular work year during COVID, like we need to make work less stressful. Yeah, I'm out. For these I'm families. out peace like there's no way there's also so much evidence being accumulated that the 40-hour work week doesn't actually result in increased productivity right like the the study out of iceland that was widely circulated this summer of showing like oh yeah if 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 you have people work 30 to 32 hours a week they're gonna be more productive than if you have work 40 which gets to some of that monotony i think competition piece maybe not the physical aggression stuff which is a whole other 
cultural supervisors. Right. Right. But I mean, if people are less stressed out, they might be less aggressive to their subordinates. That's true, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You would imagine it's possible also that uh, the critical uh, how critical your supervisor is or how how many grievances you get at work could also be tied to like how much time pressure, like how what the yeah. deadlines look like. Right? Yeah. Some of these variables also, I imagine, must intersect, um, uh, not just within job categories, but within individual workplaces. Here's what I found. Oh. Within, individual, within individual workplaces. <laughs> Sorry. My watch was also excited about this article. I wanted to jump in. There. It doesn't want to work so hard doesn't want to work that hard. It wants some time off, Sarah. Honestly, to be fair, it probably is tracking my heart rate. And it's like, okay, chill. Like, chill. This isn't really about you. Just whoo, slow down, woman. Oh, it's telling me to breathe. That's nice. Thank you, iWatch. The iWatch was uh, secured <laughs> since the last season of Dashed. And it's giving me a lot of insight about my own stress in my life. <laughs> I love Hot it. Watch summer. Hot watch summer. Hot watch summer. We each have to have something. Hot baby summer, hot bag summer, hot watch summer. Listen. A watch, a watch. Guys, every year I think I'm going to make my life sound so much more interesting. <laughs> and then I come to these recordings and I'm left with hot watch summer. I mean, sorry, sorry. The tomatillos were raining down on my patio. Like what is, guys. This is sorry. This is sorry. Hot, hot vacay summer. Yeah. yeah. Hot vacay summer. You want a hot vacay. I like my watch. It's cool. <laughs> so I was right. <laughs> yeah. Finally time for good or bad advice where we talk about pervasive relationship advice in our culture. We hear relationship advice from parents, families, and friends. We see advice about how to be in these relationships from movies and TV shows And we read endless advice spewed at us on social media, blogs, and all of those numerous top 10 lists. But a lot of it just isn't actually good advice for our relationships. This is the part of the show when we use science, mind you, to decide if the advice is good or bad. If you have seen or heard some advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. Email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com or get at us on the Twitter, the Insta, or the Facebook, as the kids call it, at Attached Podcast. Or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. While you're at it, please kindly rate and review our podcast and that sweet, sweet YouTube vid that you're watching. You guys, I'm so cool. Um, and share it with your loved ones. <laughs> I don't, Either I, don't understand why you're, I don't understand why you're laughing. It's fine. It's fine. Actually, for me, it's just nervous laughter because now <laughs> I'm remembering the trauma I experienced during good or bad advice segments where I say something and then Sarah's like, actually, Jacob, that's not right. And I'm like, no, and then I crumple inside a little bit. So I'm like trying to prepare myself to like. I like, I like how you made your failures about me. That was, that was really weird. <laughs> classic white dude move Jacob. it is i mean uh on good or bad advice we are going to talk about an article from the what to expect website five tips mom can depend on just moms mind you not dads for introducing their child to a new baby by kim conte link in uh, the bio so are you guys ready let's do it Let's do it. First, help them become friends before birth. Just as you're getting to know your baby-to-be during the several months that he or she is growing inside of you, your older child can too. Look at an ultrasound photos together. Let your child touch your baby bump. Talk and sing to the baby and feel the baby kick. If possible, take your child along to your prenatal appointments to hear the baby's heartbeat. Ask your child what he or she imagines the new baby is thinking or doing inside of your tummy and continue these conversations once the new baby arrives. For example, your baby sister is crying. Why do you think she's sad? This can help your child see his or her new sibling as a real person and hopefully a future friend. 
good or bad advice? So first of all, um, I will not be introducing a sibling to my child until March. You all already know this, but oh, we're expecting baby number two in March. This is interesting to me. Like, I I almost don't know. I, I just want to take this topic a little broader first before I narrow it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Like, it seems to me that, A, first, like, oh, it's mom's responsibility to uh, take care of the emotional well-being of her children. Yeah, yeah. Not a narrative I like to support because 100%. I actually really want to be involved in the emotional well-being of my children. <laughs> like, I like Glad to hear it. Yeah, you know, like, yes. that's the part I, like, want to connect Podcast with. success. <laughs> and also, like, we, we I, praise you, Jacob. He, learned, he learned that here. Yeah. You're welcome. You're, You're welcome. If, if I hadn't been doing this podcast until like before I became a father, Your like honestly, all I'd be doing is like, shut that kid up. I mean, that, wow. You would have had a Southern accent. That's so fascinating. <laughs> Was that some, I mean, I did live in Florida before. So like, I feel like I, sure. I also think that, you know, some of that advice I think is good advice, but I also think there should be some boundaries. I don't know if, well, especially COVID, like I'm not going to bring my kid into a hospital for an appointment. Like, I, and, like, I think that that could be useful, maybe, depending on the age of your kid. But I also kind of feel weird about it. I, I kind of feel like this is very prescriptive in that, like, all kids are going to react a little bit different. Kids have different personalities. And when they become a sibling, like, doing one thing to be like, oh, this is going to work out. Like, some kids are going to really be excited to become a sibling. Others aren't going to be, like, mine's probably not going to be old enough because they're kind of close together to realize, really realize what's going on. So, I, I mean, I, I feel like the broadness of this advice just seems to be kind of like, oh, I, I don't know. It just seems really floofy to me. It's, that's very sciencey yeah. to say. With this the, advice yeah, yeah, seems yeah. floofy to me. When the rubber hits the road with this advice, does it really work? I think is the question. I think this is a very performative advice yeah. piece. But before I get into my two cents, Woods thought. So Jacob, okay. you're saying bad advice. Bad advice because like, yeah, what it does just doesn't actually just, mean. Yeah. yeah, like what are, what do you like? Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, bad advice. I don't think maybe the goal is to help them become friends, let alone before birth. So I think that outcome is what feels sort of funky for me when you read that advice, that it would make sense, I think, if what you're helping to do is like acculturate your current kid or kids to this idea of there's a new member joining our family and that's important and that this is what it'll look like and here's what you can help with and that sort of thing. I think that happens pretty naturally. I think I think probably a lot of people don't need the advice of like your let your child touch your baby bump. Could like for for 9 months is that off limits? Like is no like just no. <laughs> don't no bunch no no bump punches. Um I I don't so I don't really know that that outcome makes sense. I also would say I mean it's I think it's most doctors offices of course if you bring a kid with you to a prenatal appointment, I mean, like, that's perfectly acceptable. I would not personally advise bringing your child with you to an appointment where you hear the heartbeat. Um, those are medical visits, and stuff goes wrong with pregnancies all the time. It yeah. would be pretty traumatic if you brought your kid to a doctor's appointment, yes. a prenatal yep. visit, and you got bad news while your other child was there. Yes. So while it's sometimes not avoidable, also I wouldn't do that specifically to, like, um, help a young child that young kid they do not know what the heck is going on and it's a 2d image of something that looks It'd be terrifying low-key like an alien like it's really sure. not look it's not like a fresh baby picture no they're medical visits it's just not it's not we don't need to become friends there yeah be, be friends in the future so bad advice and so i th- i think um i said what i'm hearing is bad advice um i, mean, I love it i mean i like the there's a portion of this that I like, like, of course, when change occurs, you want to prepare your child for that change. You don't just want the change to occur. And then they are like in this tornado of change, right? Then this is all any, any change or any, anything to their schedule, right? You want to prepare your child. So for what they expect, so the adaptation to the change is um, good or better than, you know, otherwise, uh, minimize tantrums is always my um, uh, 
a goal. <laughs> but this has to be developmentally appropriate. Yeah, right. right? right. Like a two-year-old, they don't really have a good object permanence. Like the idea that a baby is growing in your belly. Sorry, my five-year-old was like, did you eat the baby? Like, it's very yes. confusing. And you then you can talk about the whole... It's just very con- confusing and you can talk about it in a developmentally appropriate way, but these are, it's a very abstract idea. So for just adults. know that going in, right. For adults as well. <laughs> Fair point. Um, so going, going in, know that you're, if you're going to explain this, they probably won't get it the first time. And that's okay. The way this describes it is like, you just tell it they're, they're going to have a, a new friend, a new kid, kid and they're going to be like, cool. So for example, I, and I think the, what, what rubs me the wrong way is like this idealistic picture, perfect introduction of, of a kid. So I fell into this trap as well. Like when we were, uh, you know, ready to tell the older kids about the new baby, um, I was like, oh my gosh, I've seen all of these things on Instagram about like, you give the kids a gift and it's a t-shirt inside it and they pull it up and it's like, congrats big brother congrats big sister and I was like oh my god this is gonna be fantastic um so I did that my oldest who is eight did not get it she was like I'm already a big sister sure for the shirt like what (laughs) my four-year-old at the time now five-year-old because I said what here's a present said (laughs) he was livid (laughs) he said a t-shirt he was like a t-shirt I wanted a present I wanted a toy like what the heck like what are you doing and I'm like but it says big brother he was like I don't care what, what anyway that's your that's your life goal not mine not mine what is it why are you why are you putting this on me mom I'm like fair point these are guys this is this is accurate like this is this is correct so it happens in conversations over time and it happens when the baby comes like little tiny things to like incorporate the kid, the kid to be friends. But I think, I think that this in the belly help them become friends um, is a good idea, but make sure it's developmentally appropriate. Make sure your image of it isn't like an Instagram perfect one is what I think. Lower your expectations. Yeah. Or like lower them to like reality. Like, you know, like have your expectations just be reality. That's okay. Reality is a really excellent place to be. We like reality. uh, Yeah. 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 It helps with your mental health, all of those things. It's fantastic. We love it. Number two, plan a memorable visit. Make the first meeting as special as possible for your child. It can help create positive associations with the new baby doesn't have to be anything too complicated you just had a baby after all very very excellent excellent point what to expecting um you're in the hospital your vag is torn apart or you have a hole in your belly these are these are excellent points i'm glad you're recognizing them is there a park near the hospital or a birthing center where you delivered i'm sorry what maybe you have your partner check it out with your child before they come to visit the new baby sounds Sounds exciting because hopefully your partner is just like well rested and wasn't with you in the delivery room for the past 24 hours. No, these great ideas. Great ideas. No, just to be clear, none of this is part of the advice. It's all ad living by you. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm not emotionally reacting to this at all. It's fine. (laughs) Or if there's a kid friendly restaurant where they can grab a yummy snack pre or post meeting, go for it. Even a trip to the hospital's cafeteria because that's a fun place. (laughs) or to the gift shop to get a toy for the baby can be a super fun adventure for the baby (laughs) for the baby of course whether you're whatever you're planning you'll just want to be mindful about the best time of day for your child to meet the baby so not when he or she is tired hungry cranking cranking (laughs) cranky or wanting to be somewhere else that that in part is great i know um i may or may not have colored this for you jacob but (laughs) Talk to me, plan a memorable visit, good or bad advice. I mean, this is great advice, right? Like that's all what we're. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's okay, what we need so... right, after, right after delivery is like, like, be positive. Don't forget to put on some fucking lipstick. <laughs> like, honestly, okay. I did not push a child out of my body. 
I was there and I was present and I was exhausted. So I can only imagine this is being written to moms to say like, all right, now that you've done this thing, you have a responsibility to make everything happy. So this meeting can be really positive. Do you know what? None of those kids are going to remember that meeting. I don't remember meeting any of my siblings. Right. Right. Like if you can just survive, you know, the first weeks, months after introducing two siblings to each other, that's a win. If you are planning out like, visits, scoping out parks, like, I don't know what world this person lives in when they're having a child, but that was not my experience. And again, like I said, like, I (laughs) I didn't do any work and I was still exhausted. So I don't know how you're going to create this space where it's going to be very positive. You know what? Like, just get home, try to get everybody to sleep as much as possible as when they can, when they can, get help and support from friends and family and figure it out. Like, don't be stressing out about where to... Uh, like Take what the kid before and after. You want to introduce people at. That sounds like a bad idea. So really, really, I, I think this is bad advice. Woods. Yeah, I mean, it's bad advice. It also doesn't apply during COVID. Like, you don't right. bring extra kids to the hospital, please. <laughs> don't, uh, yeah, I literally don't wasn't allowed to. I The only piece I would say that is maybe helpful is thinking about if remotely possible when you make an introduction like this, just like when you do anything, when you take your kid for a walk, when you have them meet with friends, when you go to the zoo, maybe time it to when they're not otherwise, like, hungry, tired, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. thirsty. Where, like, meet those basic needs. for Like, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. advice that occasionally as a parent I need to be reminded about like why yeah, is this yeah. not going well and then my husband would be like because we're all hungry <laughs> like we need to eat lunch oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay food and uh, so like that's fine but I I think um, I think what it what it did was in the first piece of advice it tried to suggest like this child that's joining us is so important you're going to be friends with the embryo like oh it's such a big deal and in this piece of advice it's like well meeting your new sibling is not special enough we need to couple that with like a trip right. to a fun playground and an ice cream sundae like this is this is a big deal in and of itself and it has no bearing not any bearing moms and dads who are listening no bearing uh, on the future relationship between your existing already children and your new children this introduction has no bearing on anything ever listen you just had a baby you did a great fucking job you nailed it you did a great job now Go home, try and get as much sleep as you can. Make sure everybody is fed. Maybe you turn on the TV for some entertainment for the, for the youngest and from the oldest. You're winning. You're doing, you're doing a great job. Yeah. This, this obsession with making every interaction positive sounds exhausting to me. Well, like, and it's also like an Instagram photo finish too. It's like all of all, that's all I hear is like, you know, beautiful on Instagram. I'm like, cool, 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 cool. Cool, 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 cool. It's cool. a lot. Yeah, if you can afford to have a photographer follow you around and make all of those things beautiful, then you probably can also afford to have, like, pay people to go take your child to, like, a park. A yeah. park. And then have, like, clear out the park so nobody else is there. And then, like, okay, well, the level of income, I'm not sure photographers are that expensive. You really, like, <laughs> ups that. <laughs> For photographers out there listening. <laughs> important occupations as well I don't. <laughs> why are we suddenly slandering photographers you uh, paid the mayor to clear the park <laughs> i don't know about that so um bad advice what to expect um you know be better um three have the new baby give a present to your older child you've likely heard this suggestion before and there's reason for it it really works Again, it's another simple way to help your child see the new baby as a real live person and even better, someone who likes to give gifts because that's the only people we like are the people who give oh, us have gifts. The new baby, have yeah. the new baby give the ex- older sibling yeah. presents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If your child Got is it. old enough to understand that present isn't from the baby, just say it's a congrats on being a big brother or sister present. Don't worry. Simple ideas work here too. Snacks, a disposable camera. If your child is old enough to snap photos for the new baby, disposable cameras aren't a thing anymore. But but anyway, the new baby gives a disposable camera to their older sibling to say, "Why don't you take some pictures of me?" (laughs) And also, this is this is a simple idea. 
This it's is entirely about this new baby. Yeah, <laughs> Who yeah, likes yeah. giving gifts about them? <laughs> <laughs> and books about the new siblings are also great options. Jacob, good or bad advice? So she's saying it works. And I'm going to refute her anecdote with another anecdote. Go on. Because, like, if she doesn't have data, I don't need data, right? So <laughs> That's how science works. Science! <laughs> <laughs> so my my brother and sister-in-law did this. They had, um, you know, they got this idea and they had the new baby give the older baby a gift. I don't remember what it was. It was like a truck or something. And he was really excited. He held the baby for, like, ten minutes and then said... Um, can we send the baby back now? <laughs> I got right? it. Like, so, uh, you know, sure, maybe that could work for some kids, but I don't yeah. know, like, I don't see why we're having this conversation. Like, again, like the whole premise of like putting so much intensity on this one event yeah. that nobody's <laughs> care about when like, they're gonna be siblings for the lifetime yeah like there's so many more other important junctures that you could be focusing on and this one thing really isn't going to make a difference if kids are the age where they need a present from their younger sibling they're not it's yeah so bad advice just just don't don't read this article we're gonna link to it and i'm sorry the author of the article you're probably a great person you just missed with this one you yeah and we probably it. won't actually link the article uh i mean the author to this uh po this sure. uh, social media post because i'm pretty sure they're not going to retweet it after they listen to it <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> maybe they won't listen to it maybe it's just kind of like it works. Oh, they talked about me. I don't know. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Woods, good or bad advice? Well, I say that I have two brothers, but I actually had a third who forgot to give me a gift as a baby. <laughs> and I wrote him out of my life. So it's a very serious gift-giving opportunity. No, so what this does is set up really confusing developmental understanding for your older children about what this baby is capable of. Because what the advice said was, if they are old enough to know that the baby can't give gifts, just be like, oh, it's a congratulations present for you. Okay, then, but then why? But also that means the rest of the children were pretending the baby actually did give the gift. Well, well then I, what is this baby capable of? Because now you're gonna tell me when we go home, I have to get diapers for you when you're like, you can't get up, or can you go get the bottle from the fridge? Or can you like, oh, they're crying and that's just what babies do. Well, the baby just gave me a present a week ago. So that's yeah. really confusing. It's it's just very, I think, unnecessary. The child is maybe gift enough for the family. And for some kids, having a new sibling is really not exciting. So the present, the present yeah. isn't isn't really going to change that. Um, I think it's also kind of you could take off your to do list. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I certainly agree. So bad advice all around. Yeah, it's just, and also, they turned the it, baby into Santa Claus, right? Like they yeah, they really did give you a gift. Oh. I don't like the expectation also that we only like people who give us gifts give too. Us gifts. Like well, it's not a great idea to buy friendships. Um. I mean, it's not a bad idea, though. That's how we, we got here. Where's that gift, Chica? I need a gift from you guys. Um, the gift of conversation. Mm, that's what we give you every day. <laughs> each other. We give each other. Um, I will say I, we did a version of this that worked. Um, but in, in reverse. So what I did before the newest one came, I went to Target, the best place in the world with the older two siblings. And they, we went on the baby aisle and they each picked out a gift for the that's new baby cute. that's, that's coming. Developmental so I, norms. Yeah. Cause they're old enough to do it. Right. And so they picked out yeah. something and it was also kind of my five-year-old wanted to pick out something that really he wanted to play with. So we kind of had a conversation about like giving gifts that the person would like. So it kind of turned into that, which is still always an ongoing conversation, but that's fine. Um, picking out gifts is hard. Um, and that did seem to work because it kind of got them, oh, the baby aisle, like these are gifts that are appropriate for this kid at this age. And so we could have a conversation about what the baby will be like and what the baby will do. And they're giving something welcoming the baby. 
Um, and that did work. So there's a part of this one that like, I can see like being like a tangible way to like welcome somebody new. I don't know if I like this direction that they're recommending. Obviously mm -hmm. I didn't do it. Um, the other direction felt more like you're saying developmentally appropriate. Mm -hmm. And it was a way, it was also a way for me to like make a teachable moment occur mm -hmm. in, in the store there. And it was like a fun outing that we could do. And also because it was kind of during COVID, we didn't get to go to stores as much with the kids like we used to. So it was also fun for them for that reason too. I'm going to say like maybe advice, but I personally liked it the other direction for all of the science and developmental reasons. So obviously I think my way is better. <laughs> Good advice. Thank you. Good advice from Patricia. We'll, we'll take yes, it. nailed it. Suck it. What to expect. Um, was that too aggressive? That was aggressive. Sorry. I'm, this I'm workplace so sorry. is getting hostile. <laughs> Four. Make your child the center of attention. I think we've kind of gone through this one and why we don't like it. So I'm just going to go ahead and skip to number five. Give them a job to do. Look for small ways to involve your older child in caring for your newborn. What are some of those ways? He or she can show the baby a toy, sing a lullaby during fussy times, and maybe even throw away a dirty diaper. Loki, they're not going to want to do that. Or help with feeding. Give your older child a job to do can go a long way towards helping them or her feel a part of the change and changes instead of left out. Um, plus, you just added a brand new baby to your family. You'll need help, all the help you can get. Good or bad advice, give them a job to do, Jacob. Again, this is going to depend on, I think, the age of the kid. Yeah, like, I can see how this would feel good. Like, oh, look, you're so involved. And also, like, I want my kids to be kids they can take care of each other but there's they aren't the parents right that's like right. I, I think that's a way to kind of triangulate your kid into maybe you know depending on how old they are like setting them up to be like oh you're in charge of this kid and I, I mean that would be the extreme level yeah. but you know focusing on this so much is like hey you're the sibling and we're gonna ask you to do things sure like that's what families do but I don't, I, I worry a little bit about triangulating a kid in too early to start taking care of a sibling. If that pattern can replicate and solidify, potentially could be problematic. And I, I think too, like I've seen families where, you know, you're, you're adding a, you know, a kid when maybe that older kid is 12 or 13, and then they get kind of pushed into that role of being the caretaker for the kid for whatever reason. Yeah. And I think that can be problematic. So I'm not saying that that is this advice. I don't think right. this is advice is as bad as some of the other advice that has been in this article, but I, I would just caution against it. This is not something that I think um, in involving your kid in like helping is all great, but just being cautious about what messages you're sending is what I would say. So bad advice, but not as bad as the other advice. <laughs> Woods. I mean, I guess I would say it's good advice. I don't think it's necessarily like problematic. I don't I don't know that it's going to help kids feel less left out of the big change when they're like asked to take a dirty diaper to the trash. Like they're not like, oh, yes, I'm part of this. It's a big deal. I think, A, it just is probably a life necessity sometimes. <laughs> like there are going to be times where you need to ask for help and you're looking around and you're, it's your six-year-old who you're looking at. Like, well, can you grab that for me really quick? Um, and then there's other ways where you could probably make that a little bit more um, enjoyable and not necessarily call it a job. But also I think helping people in the family is part of the job of being a family member. Yeah. So rather than make it about helping them to feel included, because I'm not sure that that's what it achieves, um, or sort of um, uh, just doing it on the fly, sort of thinking about that this is something that we just do in a family. We help each other out and like just like, you know, this sibling feeds the dogs or this sibling helps set the table or this is just part of being a family. We, we sort of work together to make this work is probably the um, the frame I might say might be a little bit more effective. Yeah, so it seems like you're both are... Uh, a little bit on the fence on this one. You see good elements um, uh, uh, on it. And I would agree with you. I think the extremes, like Jacob was saying, is problematic. And I think I would also highlight the extreme on the other end. They kind of talk about the um, them feeling a part of the change 
instead of being left out, which I think is probably the undercurrent point of, of this. And I, I think that could also be achieved by making sure you're not like stiff arming your oldest kid. If they ask to help for something, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not going nice. to say like, no, like nice. my oldest was like, Ooh, I want to change their diaper. And I was like, okay. Like, I'm not going to be like, no, like I'm going to do the dirty part bit and clean them up and you can put on the other diaper while I'm standing there. Um, but also when the kid is the youngest is crying, um, you know, my five-year-old, I'll like, can you go put their pacifier in real quick? And they'll go and run and, and do it real quick. Yeah. That's a fun, fun thing to do. Um, but not like you, Jacob is saying like, this is your responsibility. Now the life <laughs> of this, this infant is now yours, eight-year-old. Like <laughs> that is not something uh, that I think is good advice, but I think the other extreme. So so often I think like we do in this podcast, like the extremes are bad and the good stuff developmentally healthy relationships is somewhere in, in the middle. Well, and I think too, that this is just focusing on like a part of parenting that doesn't really need to be added to somebody else's plate, right? Like why do we need to be thinking about like this special reunion when there's so many other aspects we know that are important to parenting this, right. this exactly. to me just seems like it's become Making something. I think you're right. Of like an Instagram moment. Like, Oh, my two kids met each other and yeah. like this post. And I, I just feel like that's not what's important. What we know about parenting. Like I, and so for me, that's why it's just kind of like bad advice all around. Like yeah. focus on something else. Like you don't need to add this to your parenting plate. You got enough going on. Yeah. I mean, obviously you want the moment to not go horribly bad. And I think the advice in the middle there about making sure that people have napped and have a snack is like yeah. key to that meeting, not going horribly, horribly bad. And I think, you know, you, you made it home you're winning here like yeah. you did a good job like you guys you're good like fantastic congratulations thanks for listening to attached remember to call us email us or get at us on the social medias about any relationship advice you've received that you're wondering whether to follow or pass on we cannot wait to talk about it